0: Hey, fourth listener, John here. Thanks for downloading this special edition episode. On July 13th, 2019, at the Southern Fried Gaming Expo in Atlanta, Georgia, I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with one of my musical idols from the 1980s, Jerry Buckner of Buckner and Garcia, the artists who brought us Pac-Man Fever. An abbreviated version of this interview is available on our YouTube channel, and we'll throw the link down in the show notes if you'd like to watch that. But here, in this special edition, I'm pleased to present this panel in its entirety, including audience Q&A, just as if you'd been there with us. Of course, our regular show will be out on Thursday, just like usual, so this is an added bonus. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us uh, for the Jerry Buckner Q&A session. It's a pleasure to have you here my credentials. I'm John with Gen X Grown Up. I won a, a uh, lip sync contest to Pac-Man Fever in my youth. <laughs> I got my copy of Pac-Man Fever autograph, the 1982 edition my parents bought by Mr. Buckner earlier today. And on our podcast, I picked Pac-Man Fever as my number one favorite one-hit wonder of the '80s, even though my co-host disagreed with me, but I argued with him fervently. Uh But more (laughs) important than anything, I'm proud to (laughs) introduce Mr. Jerry Buckner. Thank you. you. It's a
2: real pleasure to be here and see all you folks uh, coming out. It's great to be here. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, the
0: reason that we're all brought here together in your presence is because of how you touched our lives with uh, the seminal album, Pac-Man Fever, I think it was 1982 when it was released. There's a lot of backstory that comes before that that I want to touch on. I believe you and Mr. Garcia actually knew each other in school and were playing music
2: way back then, right? We, we did. Uh, Gary and I knew each other from junior high, that's what they called it in Ohio. <laughs> we knew each other then and of course in high school. and uh, we had, we. Gary formed a band before I did, and the first thing he formed, I'll never forget this. Um, he had a, uh, a, an airline uh, guitar and a little speaker thing, and he had a guy on drums, and they called themselves Biggie and His Rat, and they uh, played at the uh, high school gym uh, a few songs, and I never forgot that. I thought that was so cool. And years later, we were talking about that one day, and he said, Yeah, he said the, the day we did that show. We, it, it's coming through the, those awful uh, horns that they had in the gym. And he said, I was getting shocked every time I would get near the microphone.
1: <laughs>
2: but uh, yeah, so when we, uh, we started uh, playing together some bands in high school, and then we got out of high school, we started playing, uh, doing different bands and playing and stuff. And uh, working on songs and recording, uh, doing what we could do in Ohio, from Akron, Ohio, where we were from. Eventually, I moved here to Atlanta to play in a band and then Gary came and followed, and we decided to uh, get into the jingle business, and that allowed us some time to work on songs, and that's kind of the beginning of uh, how we got into doing Pac-Man Fever. So as I understand it, Pac-Man Fever came first, and then the album followed shortly
0: thereafter. Yeah, that's right. Where did the idea for Pac-Man Fever as a single come from, and how that
2: evolved? Okay, well, what happened was uh, we were working on a particular jingle package, and uh, at a studio in Marietta, Georgia, which is, uh, you, well, you guys know where I, I think I'm somewhere in Wisconsin. I <laughs> don't you know where these places are. Uh, anyway, so we were working up in Marietta, and, uh, and we took a break one night for you know for dinner, and we went to dinner, and uh, we went to a place called Shillings. Anybody know where Shillings is on Marietta on the square? Anybody been there? Okay, well, maybe that's why they don't make a lot of money. <laughs> It was a great restaurant. If you're ever in Marietta at the Square, you need to go to uh, Shilling's. a good place. So we go into Shilling's to eat, and we noticed in the middle of the, of the, the restaurant, there's this table. They didn't have the big game. They had a table game, uh, the cocktail kind. Mm-hmm. And people were playing it and laying chords down, so we said, you know, hey, I'll play. it. Well, we got hooked, like everybody else, and we were playing, and all of a sudden, playing Pac-Man became more important than uh, doing this commercial. And so, the next few nights, we were coming in there supposedly for dinner, but of course, we would play the game and sit in there for two hours. So, the idea for the song, actually, was we thought, you know what? Maybe if we do a song about this game, we can get some radio play around town and and improve our jingle business, which is what we were thinking at the time. And so, that's the idea behind it. And uh, there was actually lyrics—there was a different set of lyrics written for the song that I wish I still had, but when we went to uh, to the uh, people that turned out to be our management and, and pitched the song and they said, go ahead and record it, um, we changed the lyrics. We didn't, we weren't happy with the lyrics. We liked the chorus, but we weren't happy with the lyrics. And to this day, I don't, I can't remember. I wish I had them. It'd be fun just to, you know, to sing, but we don't, uh, we don't have them. We, we re, you know, we, we went in and did the song and uh, with, with the new lyrics, which I thought was kind of interesting. Now, initially, You tried to get somebody to buy into Pac-Man Fever, and it it didn't grab right away, right? You had to publish it yourself, I understand? No, yeah, we got thrown out of every record company in New York. I mean, they they had no idea what Pac-Man was. They had no idea, these guys were in Ivory Towers, you know. Now, there's two stories as to why uh, CBS Records uh, took our song. What happened is we had to, the song had to be, uh, was put out locally, by our management firm and was played on Quixie here in Town 94Q uh, for the first time ever. And uh, just, it was astounding, the reaction. There was tons and tons of of people calling the station. That's the story, the story, that's the story I believe, because what happened is, is then uh, uh, the people at CBS heard about what was happening, and they said, we want to buy this record. Now, the other story is, is that one of the CBS executives uh, took the song home uh, with other songs, you know, just to listen to it at home, and then his son heard it, and of course he knew about Pac-Man, and went crazy over it, and so then they decided to buy it. But either way, uh, after a week or so of just this tremendous reaction to the song, uh, Columbia Records in New York said, hey, we gotta, we gotta have this record. And so they, they bought it, and uh, we had no album, it was just, just that song. So that led you to creating the album, Pac-Man Fever,
0: so eight well, great tracks. Let me
2: back up. Okay, oh, yeah. you <laughs> probably know we didn't really want to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay, you might have been heading that way. We were hoping to just go ahead and do a regular album of some songs because we had we were pop songwriters and so we had a lot of songs we wanted to write, we uh, wanted when to, when to record. But then uh, I'll tell you a little secret. Uh, we had recorded two songs, regular songs, and then the, the executive, one of the executives in New York flew down to hear what we were doing. And he goes, no, 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 no. We can't have this, we need game songs. We want game songs. So we said, well, it's not that we're opposed to that. It's just, you know, they kind of pinch and pigeonhole us a little bit. But, you know, whatever you guys want. I mean, who's going to tell CBS Records? That, you know, you can do what they say. So we took two of the songs. It was Mousetrap and uh, uh, um, Mousetrap and Going to Surf were actually two other songs. And we changed, uh, we kept the whole music tracks and everything, just changed the lyrics and converted them into game songs. Uh, and we have the actual uh, original songs uh, somewhere. We have in a vault, I think. We have a of vault, but they're going to be available if you, if you want to hear them, I think, online. It's kind of neat to hear the same song but performed differently, you know, from before. But yeah, so that's how we ended up doing the album. And uh, they asked us to, and did you want me to tell them about what we went through with the album? Oh, please we, do, yeah. Well, uh, we didn't know from a whole lot. These games, you have to remember back then these games were all kind of new and I mean they were hot games but you know we didn't know what all they were so we had to go out uh, at night to an arcade and find somebody find a game that was popular and uh, you know have somebody say yeah Donkey Kong that's a cool game you know everybody's hot so okay how do you play that so we find somebody who knew how to play it and so we'd come back and take and you know, took notes and come back and then we sit up all night and and write this song. And uh, we tried to write a good pop song and then put, you know, put the sound effects and, and so forth And We didn't want to just put some junk out there with the sound effects. We wanted to try to make a, a, a good album, you know, with good songs. So that's how we would do it. And then we'd get up the next day with two hours sleep and go in and record. It took us, we only had two weeks because the record label said, Man, we got to have this album quick it's a
1: song, you know, it's a smash, you know, we got to have this.
2: So uh, we had to do it real quick and it was, uh, I think we ended up the last. We ended up <clears throat> on the album uh, New Year's Eve. I think is the last day of that of '81, 19, Because Pac-Man came out in '81. People think it's '82, but it actually came out in the fall of '81 the, the, on the local label.
0: So you mentioned that uh, you went and got notes on how the games were played so you you write lyrics to that. But also, all of these games include sound effects from the games. What led you to decide to include sound effects? What was that decision process? Well, we just thought it would enhance the song, and uh, you know, add a little bit of uh, flavor of the
2: of the game to it. And so uh, that was really the, the idea behind it. But it was a little bit of a problem because back then you couldn't. Everything now is download direct. You can get anything you want, any sound you want. Back then, uh-uh, You know, you had to go. We had this, the engineer had to literally go. He we went into my Pac-Man, went into a a, a delicate and set up a microphone, we went in early in the morning when there wasn't too many people there, set up a microphone and recorded it off the speaker of the Pac-Man. In fact, we had to cut out, there was somebody ordered a ham sandwich or something. <laughs> <laughs> they had to cut that out, you know, when you couldn't hear it, but uh, with all the sound effects had it. So that was kind of, that was, that was made it a little bit harder having to run around and get these sound effects right off the machines and not pick up all the room noise. Somebody
0: might not have thought about back then, but I'm very curious now because litigation is a thing. Was there any issue or anything approached with Namco in terms of doing a song about their hot property or using sound
2: effects from their hot property mm-hmm. or other things like that? Oh, you brought up uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Did> touch <that laughs> a dirt? <derp>? I'm sorry. <laughs> not, it wasn't for me, but uh, this album uh, took 26 separate contracts to be put out to make sure that everything was, was okay, and that also included worldwide stuff. Uh, no, when we put this out there, we had no license for anything. Nintendo could have shut us down right then, but they didn't want to because this was, like, a commercial for their product, and uh, so we didn't really have any problem with that. And we they, they, they paid a little fee to them. I mean, it was nothing compared to, you know, be glad to pay ten times that note. But, yeah, we would have to—not not every company made us pay, but we had to have agreements. I think Donkey Kong, actually, the people equal to Who did Donkey Kong? Who was there? Oh, Nintendo. I can tell you. Yeah, Nintendo. they let
1: us just have it. I guess. I don't know. They were the behemoth then that they are now. So yeah, it
2: took a lot, a lot of contracts, and, and could have been ugly had we not. Uh, we we paid a lot of money to three lawyers.
1: <laughs>
0: you mentioned that some of the songs were uh, were a different song before they became one of the video game songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard a single from Buckner Garcia called "Loose in the Streets." Suspiciously, oh, like do the Donkey Kong, oh, that okay. before or after, or is it
2: similar arrangement, or my imagination? Way, I way after, yeah, okay. they came way after. It was when the skateboard thing got really hot, and uh, my my son at the time got seriously into that and spent tons of money in the skateboard thing, and so we decided to to do that. And the song um, Stranger Things tried to license Pac Man a couple of times. They went to use it in. The, in the series, the first episode, I think, where there's a, there's a video game scene uh, didn't work out. Uh, the negotiations uh, with the publishers and stuff, right? they didn't work it out. But we always thought that uh, that song would be a good song for Stranger Things, because it's talking about skateboarding skateboard and stuff, and so I think it's a pretty cool song. I you did know, it's a pretty good song. <laughs> but uh, so we're hoping maybe that maybe we'll still, they do a lot of 80s stuff, and maybe we'll get in the show, because it's, I mean, we've been the Simpsons, uh, South Park, um, Family Guy, uh, The Tonight Show, that did, I mean, we've been in treatments. much all, all the shows have licensed our song at one time or another.
0: All of the uh, great talent artists, uh, musicians that are on the album speak for themselves, but there's uh, one credit in the album that I wonder if you could explain, uh, and in the detailed
2: liner notes, it says, credit to Jason's Rakeup. Get <laughs> what? Okay, my son, Jason, uh, at the time, uh was a young, young guy. And at Christmas, he got you know back then they were all kinds of electronic stuff was coming out you know in the 80s, mid 80s, uh, early 80s, and he got this gun and you could change the thing and squeeze the trigger and it would make these different sounds. So when we were doing the song, we uh, we were thinking, what you know what could we do with this uh, song, a particular song? And so Gary said he had been over to the house at Christmas time and and was playing with that toy. He goes hey, let's put the Space Gun on there. And I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah. So we got the Space Gun and, and put it on the song. And people have asked about that, and I wish we had saved the Space Gun. Uh, it would be kind of a neat collector's item. Unfortunately, the Space Gun's gone, and I can't even remember what kind of, what I can remember kind of singing it was, you know, but I don't remember, but that's the Space Gun story. Um, Jason's Space Gun, gone forever. <laughs> and that was in the song Hyperspace, I think, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so, right. It always
0: bothers me when people talk about Pac-Man Fever as novelty music or as a one-hit wonder because for me, and probably for a lot of the people that came here today, that was part of the soundtrack of our youth. It wasn't a novelty to me. It was regularly in rotation, uh, but you guys explore some other what people might call novelty or current pop culture things. I want you to talk a little bit about
2: a track called um, I Love You ET." Well, E.T. When the movie came out, I don't know, a lot of you maybe are too young to remember uh, the impact that the movie had when it came out. <laughs> yeah, one X yep. <laughs> uh, I went to see the movie when it came out, and, uh, of course, I was you know, just taken by it, it was you know, an incredible movie. And I went back and I told Gary, I said, this, you got to see this movie, and I told our manager at the time. So we all piled in and went the next night, and I went to see it again, I didn't care. and we watched the movie. So, we were so inspired that we went home, and I had a dog that uh, I was crazy about. This dog at the time, and uh, she had passed away earlier. And I had just messed around with the song, just you know, grieving over this dog, and I just wrote this little melody out. I didn't do with it, and I thought, you know, maybe we could uh, maybe we could use that to do this because the character ET, I mean, it was such an emotional movie.
1: So we again another all nighter. We worked on the song and recorded it. And uh, everybody went crazy for it. Uh, this is incredible.
2: So our, our manager flew to New York to our record label, and he called us. He said, we played this song there, and they're playing it for uh, for the vice president, and we heard weeping. We went out in the hallway, and the secretaries are crying. You know, this song's so beautiful. So we're getting all excited. He says, so I'm, he said, I'm flying out to meet with Steven Spielberg to play him this song and get permission for us to put it out. So we waited for phone calls. So we get a call from Arnie. He says, guys, this is unbelievable. So then you know, I, uh, I was in his office today, uh, Spielberg's office. And he said, I sat out there waiting to see him. And he said he played the song over and over as loud as he could in his office. And we're thinking, Steven Spilberg has playing our song. You know? <laughs> so he said, I went in and met with him. And he said, I think just from what he said, he said he told me that John Williams had done the soundtrack to ET and Love You. And he said to our manager, he said, I wish John had done this song in the movie. He said, it's such a beautiful song. And he said, I I think they're going to recall the movie and put the song in So we go, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that's like crazy stuff. Well, he comes back, he said, they're going to get back with us
1: next. This was the end of the week. He said, we're going to get a confirmation on Monday back from Spielberg's people. No
2: call comes. No call on Tuesday. So they try to find out what's going on. What happened is, is Neil Diamond had recorded a song called Heartlight that virtually the same time we recorded our song, we didn't know about it. And of course Neodeon mm-hmm. wasn't still a giant artist, and because of his, and he was on our label, so they're going to they're gonna put his out instead of ours because of who he was, That simple. And so our song, they did release it, but they didn't release it until uh, several months later, and uh, it, was, it, it broke our heart because we really felt like, uh, in fact, I ran into a guy, a DJ one time from California. He said, you know, we got this. He said, we got your record in the E.T. record. He said, we started playing it. He said, it was number one every night for like two weeks. And he said, I kept telling the the uh, promotion guy, I said, this song is a smash. And he would just not say
1: much. So finally, one
2: night he says, look, he said, that song's dead. Forget about it. Don't play it. Don't promote it. It's dead. He said, we're on the Neil Diamond thing. He said, "There's such a thing." But then uh, that
1: was the you know, that was the E.T. Uh, song that we did, and it was a real disappointment
2: to us because we thought you know it was a pretty good song. So I wasn't aware how close
0: that got. It's <laughs> amazing. Um, Another novelty one I've only heard a few times
2: that also uh, favors a bunch of sampling is a song called Mr. T. Oh, Mr. T. <laughs> how many have heard of Mr. T? I'm just curious because it is on the internet in a few places. Mr. T, as you know, those who remember, was very hot. So they were wanting us to, you know, do songs of that nature at that time because we, you kind of know, had this whole thing going. So we did a, a wrote a song about Mr. <laughs> Mr. T. Well, it came out really well. In fact, there's a funny story that goes with that. When we were recording the song, Gary was uh, the engineer was acting kind of weird about stuff. And I was out doing a piano part, and Gary, I could see him in the control and I could see them all sitting at each other. And I heard, I'm going to kill you or something, and I went, uh-oh. So I took, took a headphone, went inside. Well, they're yelling at each other, screaming, and they, they, it spills out into the lobby, and uh, our manager, Arnie Geller, at the time, was on the phone talking to somebody who knows New York, and, and there's musicians, people there, and it spills out, and I mean, it's, people are screaming. Gary, I'm going you know, to kill you all this and that. And I'll never forget Arnie. I, I, I heard out of my ear. He's on the phone. He goes, oh, that? Ah, it's just the boys who are recording another song. <laughs> yeah, it, was just, it was just this awful scene. Anyway, we recorded it, and everybody liked it, except we, we, uh, we couldn't get permission uh, to put it out. And so we said, well, why don't we just put it on anyway? <laughs> and Arnie says, are you kidding me? He said, do you want those guys showing up here? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because Mr. T was for real. I mean, he wasn't some you know Hollywood put together. I mean, this guy was serious. And so it was decided because uh, legally, too. It wasn't just that, but legally. You know, and the idea we didn't, none of us wanted to be up and shot. <laughs> so that's what happened. But it was put in a, somebody put it in a, in a dance video from the 80s. And it's funny, here you to see it. It's online. And you know, you see the, the hairstyle and stuff and the dancing, you know. And it's, this is funny, but I, you know, I always loved that. I thought it was a good song, but, you know, it didn't happen.
0: So we've mentioned uh, Gary Garcia, obviously your collaborator and the co-author of Pac-Man Fever and the entire album.
2: Close the best friend, yeah.
0: And I wonder if, uh, just, I wanted to pay a little bit of respect and give you an opportunity to talk a little bit uh, about Mr. Garcia and his memory and what it was like working with him. Well, Gary
2: was a very close friend, like a brother, and he and I, too, too when you were it's like whether you, if you're in the service and you go through a war or, or whatever, you know, you had this relationship with, with with people or close friends, and it was being in the record business it was a war.
1: I mean, it was really tough, you know, the competition. But what we went through, you know, ups and downs and
2: everything, we were very close, very very close. And I thought Gary was a tremendous uh, lyricist. I usually came up with the music and the hook, you know, like the idea for the, the hook, and then he would write the the lyrics. But I mean the I got a pocket full of quarters, I'm headed to the... arcade. I mean, that's a classic line that's used. News, newspaper articles, you know. I mean, it's, it's in, in this area, it's, a, it's an amazing line, and that was, that was his line. But he, if you listen to the lyrics, I mean, they're, they're just really well done, even though the subject matter is, you know, fun and all that, uh, which is so well done. We did other songs, too. Where He did the same sort of thing uh, with the lyrics. He was a tremendous talent. He was a great friend. We loved each other like brothers, and uh, it was difficult when I lost him, uh, of course, in his family, but um, he was just uh, an incredible singer, and uh, musician, and, and writer, and uh, when he and I would work together, it was like, whatever I lacked, he had, and vice versa. When he put us together, uh, magic would happen in the studio, and so uh, it's It's been difficult without his friendship with him, but uh, a lot of me knows it's up there. So do we. My understanding is he often interjected some
0: uh, unplanned or unscripted elements into some of the songs. And one of my favorites, or one of my favorite songs from uh, Froggy's Lament. Froggy, yeah. uh, There's a line in there that I think was ad-libbed, Pluck your magic twanger, Froggy. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of off the cuff. Can you tell us a little about what that's about? Does
2: anybody know what Pluck your magic twanger, Froggy is about? Anybody in this room? (laughs) There was, uh, show, I'm gonna show my age, <laughs> our age. Uh, there was a show back in the 50s, late 50s, early 60s, and uh, it was there was a guy named Jingles, uh, they called him stuff. He was this cowboy character, and it was some kind of a kid's show. And uh, on the show, there were, they had this uh, different characters, they had this uh, uh, old clock thing, you know, grandfather clock, and they had this frog that would come out of this clock I don't know who thought this up, but he would come out with a puff of smoke and he would, he would talk like this and he would irritate this Jingles character guy that was the host of the show and they would go back and forth and uh, Jingles would go, pluck your magic twanger, or froggy and then he would appear, you know? And uh, so we're doing the song, you know, as, Gary just happened to think of that, and he's threw it in there, you know. And people have asked forever, like, "What in the uh, age is that?" Uh, but that's, the pluck, that's the pluck your magic twanger uh, thing to uh, uh, to the TV show that, that only a few uh, people our age would remember. <laughs> uh, I mentioned before about how you know
0: I never considered anything in Pac-Man fever novelty, but. Uh, VH1 did uh, name Pac-Man Fever as one of the top 100 one-hit wonders ever. Yeah, that's fine, that's cool, yeah. I yeah, wonder how do you feel about that being considered a one-hit wonder when you have just an entire back catalogue of work that you've done. Well,
2: I mean, you know, we're a society with labels and so forth, and I understand that too, you know, and, and, uh, and that's, that's kind of what we were afraid would happen if, they just, if we just did the game things. But, you know, it's okay because the success of the song and the fact that the uh, or associated with this great game and, and you get to be people like you I and mean, really nice folks who uh, uh, like the songs and the music and, and I, you know they can call it whatever they want to call it uh, but the, the only thing is it always seems like when you say that not just for us but for anybody when you say that it's almost in some ways like well you, you were lucky one time or something I mean that's the you know, what what you feel like well you know it, it, it is difficult to ever get a hit record I mean it is just Astronomic lives, you know, we were blessed in every way we could and lucky and fortunate and all those things you throw in there. But we always thought that—we wrote Pac-Man, we tried—we were pop songwriters, and we tried to to write a—we wrote the song first and then added the the sound effects and all that, and we realized, you know, that's—I mean, we realized that's what the song is about and on its own, It, it could have been a hit with a completely different set of lyrics. We used to love this song a little bit, but that's okay. It's
1: it's just a great thing to be a part of, and and, and we're happy that anybody still cares and
2: loves it and all that Uh, and um, the only thing I don't care for is, we had, uh, somebody did a show and had our song on there, and and, uh, who's the guy who did Star Trek? Uh, Gene Rodger. Uh, no, the, uh, the, 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 the guy in the show. William Shatter, learn anymore. you go. Yeah. Keep going, fine. So Shatter's on, and he's just reading the script, you know. But it was something about goofy greats or something. I, I don't know a lot about the goofy part. And there was a lot of songs in there that, you know, that I didn't consider like that. You know. But again, it's the labels and, you know. That's, that's fine. Just, you know, be a little respectful. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, it's not easy to record anything. I mean, if, if you're an artist and, and you know this, if you record a play, it's, just, it's, it's hard. And uh, I respect any, anybody with success in this business. You know, I respect them because it's just
0: not easy. We all know, but now looking back in, in, on the past, from here in the future, the success that Pac-Man Fever was, there was uh, somewhat of a whirlwind promotional tour. You guys toured around, you appeared on a lot of shows. What if you have any uh, key memories of what that was like to hit some
2: success and be able to tour around and, uh, and be recognized for this? It was great, it was, it was fun, it was frightening. Mm-hmm. I mean, just frightening when we went to do American Bandstand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had grown up watching American Bandstand, everybody, and Dick Clark, who was a, a legend, you know, and, so we get to the uh, ADC, they get there and they take us to our own dressing room, you know, and we're in there and we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, we hear that famous voice in the hallway and he walks in the room, you know, and hey guys, how you doing? You know, and we're sitting there going, yeah, no, no big deal. It's only Dick Clark. So he sits down and gets comfortable, and our manager, who knew him from some other acts he handled, you know. So they sit down and they talk a little bit, you know, about Cleveland and how this and that, you know, and small talk. We're just sitting there staring like this. (laughs) So he says, so what we'll do, guys, he said, well, you'll do your first song. I'll come on and do a little interview with you, uh, ask you questions. And he just threw out this question to us, and we sat there. And he says, guys, it's television. (laughs) You got to (laughs) talk. You got to move. You can't just sit there and stare at me, you know. And so we, you know, okay, you know. Anyway, he, so he he was on a sweatshirt, by the way, which is so funny, you know, you're used to seeing him in a shirt and time, he's on a sweatshirt, and all that stuff. But anyway, so he leaves, and uh, actually, a couple of his kid's came and they wanted autographs and stuff, <laughs> uh, which we thought was pretty cool. Anyway, so he uh, he leaves, so we're getting ready to do the show, and they, they're showing the show when you're in the dressing room waiting to go on, and they're showing it. They did six shows. They did three in those days. They did three on Saturday and three on Sunday. so how wow. i never forget, it. he was sitting there, he said... He said, "These shows are just killing me." And <laughs> yeah, I come on! You can't say that. You know, you can't talk like that." Yeah. So I said to Gary, "We are ready really go on to do our segment," and I said, "I hope you get the first question." You know, and he goes, "I hope you get the first question." <laughs> so I mean, I just, I just—it's surreal. I mean, you walk down there and you look, and you—and and for those who grew up watching that show, you see the top ten board and the rate of record board, and the, you know, the set there. You know, and you go, "Man, I'm doing this." You know, this is crazy, you know, and you get out there, so he, when the song's over, Pac-Man, Dick Clark walks up to us, and, uh, and of course he asks me, asks me the first question, you know, and the question was, so why'd you do it, and I go, oh, you know, so I tried, I said something I thought would be funny, and I don't, I don't remember what I said or I, I had, I I mentioned Simon Perkins Junior High School where we had gone to school and I thought something funny about it. And I mean, it was like crickets, you know? (laughs) And I'm thinking I'm dying out of here, you know. So then he went to Gary, and eventually we got over. Funny thing is, after the show, the kids came up and wanted to meet us and talk, and one of the kids said, I went to Simon Perkins.
1: <laughs> so maybe it wasn't such a crazy thing. But Dick Clark is great to us, um, he great for the show, and uh, he played our songs on his
0: national radio show, and uh, he was really very good. Very nice man. I, I was sad to see him go. Really nice guy. I would like to fast forward to a couple of the recent incarnations of your music that uh, really, really struck me as awesome. the First, I'm a self-proclaimed uber-nerd of Wreck-It Ralph. And in 2012, I was really amazed, stunned, and surprised to see an original Buckner-Garcia tune called Wreck-It Wreck-It Ralph that sounded amazingly like your original
2: work from 82. How did that come about? I get a phone call one day, and uh, this girl says, I have uh, this this, gentleman on the phone, uh, Tommy Duval she goes, I'm Tommy Duval on the phone at uh, he Disney. he'd like to speak to you and I said okay so he comes on and he identifies himself and we talk a little bit he says we've got this movie called Wreck-It Ralph that's going to come out and uh, we have a song in the in the movie that uh, a song written for the movie it's already written but we would like you to do it. We were, they were going to have uh, what's the guy that plays Ralph the actor oh John C. Reilly John C. Reilly um, they didn't want him to do it they, didn't, they decided he wasn't couldn't do it. And then uh, Tom said, I'm a big fan of you guys. I love your music. And he said, and we thought it'd be perfect for you to do And He said, would you be interested in doing the song? And I'm thinking, see Walt Disney doing the song? Maybe. <laughs> yeah, of course, you know. So, uh, we said we would and, and they flew in a, uh, one of the producers to work with me on the, on the, on the song so we did we recorded it. in the song i wanted to gary to be a part of that somehow he had just passed away a few months before and so we took his lead vocal out and in pac-man you can hear him where he goes Ugh, in, in Pac-Man, the pac-man original pac-man so we pulled that uh out and we stuck it in uh wreck it ralph in the middle of the guitar solo and you can hear it when he play it where he goes Ugh. And so he could be a part of the song with us. But uh, we recorded it, and unfortunately, they wanted the song to be in the beginning of the movie. And, and, but I didn't know this after being in the business, but in film credits, boy, everything is really strict. And they were contracted that everybody had their places in the music track in, in the film. So the song is actually two parts of the, of the movie it's in a park where they're having a dance party and stuff and then it's in the credits, but uh, it was actually the theme song of the movie, and when you see on the album any of the music tracks it's the first track because that's where it was supposed to be, but uh, because of the credits they, they weren't able to do that. But uh, that, was, that was just great doing that. We, I mean, to go into the theater and sit there and, you know, see your name credits for a Disney movie is pretty cool. just struck me as just matching so
0: well. I mean, obviously that was intentional, right? Yeah, and I t- I can't take
2: all the credit for that. Uh, there was uh, Jamie Houston, a record producer from L.A. Uh, Jamie actually had put a lot of that together before we did it, before he got to Atlanta. So he did it. He a great job. It sounded like something you would have done, you know, Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, he, you know, it was a collaborative, collaboration together, but, but he did get
0: the essence of it in the beginning. The only key difference I noticed was there were no video game sounds in Record, Record, Ralph. I think there's there some. were features prominently, I guess.
2: No, no, no. There might have been some in there. Yeah, I don't really know. I'd have to listen again, but, uh, uh, but it did have parts in between some of the verses of something. So then in 2015, there
0: was a, a slightly lesser quality Adam Sandler film called Pixels. You're shaking your head. I apologize in advance. Uh, Well, we're disappointed because, I mean,
2: what a perfect movie for this movie. I know. It didn't didn't happen. Uh, The good news is we went to Chicago. We were invited to Chicago for the 35th uh, anniversary, and I was able to take my beautiful granddaughter with me, who's head over my—she takes care of my events. uh, that we do, Uh, and we went to Chicago uh, uh, to to be with uh, Nintendo and do this whole thing up there. And Peter Beckman was there. He was there, and he did not—was not able to speak much English, which apparently I can't either. (laughs) Um, But um, anyway, he he was there. He had an interpreter and everything, and and so we finally had a a chance to, to actually stand each other next to each other and talk a little bit. I never forget. He, you know, he was very nice and big smile, and he leans over to me in my ear and he goes, "I got a Pac-Man beat." <laughs> I said, "Great, thank
1: you." You know, and he ended up coming out where, uh, where we did a little, uh, uh, played
2: a little bit of music out for the crowd. that was there, and he came out and started dancing and everything. I thought that was pretty cool. So, so that that was part of the Pixel, Pixel was there promoting the movie. So, uh, I always said, hey, you know, we got to meet him. You know, it's okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, for that film, this was actually a re-recording of Pac-Man Fever, with a slight variation, is that right, called Eat'em Up, I think? Oh, well, that was a video we did. We decided okay. uh, to get this bright idea that we should do a, a new version of
1: Pac-Man and update it or whatever. And, you know, and we did it, and, uh, you know, uh, Richie Nuffles,
2: a good friend of ours, I don't know if you know Richie, which is a big guy in business, and Richie, I said I, I played for him. I said, "What do you think?" And he said, "I hate it." I said, "You hate it?" He said, "I hate it." He said, "I got that rap and stuff that day, you know." And I said, "Well, we were trying to, you know, juice things up a little bit." So yeah, you know, we did put, uh, hey, uh, almost 10 million views. So if somebody likes it. Can do get maybe 5,000 views a day uh, on the video and the song. So it's a different, it's a different, you know, more a little modern cut, you know. And I'm glad we did.
0: So look at the success you had with Pac-Man Fever when video games were just a burgeoning industry. And now they are a multi-billion dollar industry rivaling Motion pictures. Have you considered looking at any songs on modern games, anything ever sparked your interest that you might entertain? Well,
2: I continually, you know, you get ideas about stuff, but um, uh, yeah, I think that there's so many artists now and younger artists that, that are doing all these songs, and so I, I don't really uh, yeah, I don't really think about doing it, but I still write songs. I love to write songs, and I still uh, active uh, doing things in studio I'm in my own studio. And I also do a lot of voice acting. I got into radio for a while,
1: which I really enjoyed doing. And then I got into doing some voice work, so it was fun. I sit home, and you know, people send me scripts, and
2: I do the scripts, and they pay me. I mean, you know, <laughs> who's going to turn that down? You know, but I still work on on the songs, and um, and. Uh, I had, well, we, we had a couple game song ideas, to be honest with you, and we worked on one of them. One of them was an idea by uh, a guy and a girl who, well, actually, we had, this is based on a, a true story. Casey on we used to have this top 40 American Countdown show. About a year after that, I had happened to have the radio on the day and listened to the show, and he does a long distance dedication. And the dedication is from this uh, a girl who said, uh, I met this guy that, at an arcade last year or whatever, and they had a you know relationship or whatever, and then they broke up and, and she said, I don't know where he is, but would you dedicate Pac-Man fever to this guy, wherever he is, you know, that Nancy still loves you or whatever, and I thought, you know, of all, for a dedication song, I mean, to a <laughs> you know, usually it's gonna be a ballad. interesting dedications of, of all time. Uh, Crazy. A lot of crazy stuff happened with, with this song, but I'll tell you another story real quick. Like, you know, we, were, we were asked to do a, a, a Nickelodeon show, and there was a show on at the time, a very popular show, and it was kind of a Phil Donahue kind of thing where they had a younger guy who was a host, and they had an audience of, of, you know, teenagers, I guess, and they would have guests and topics, and they would go around with a mic and say, let them ask questions. So, because of the game thing, you know, natural show, so they brought all this, and it was at the S. New the Theater in New York, and they brought us in. And so we're stuck in this green room, and they had a couple of some people from TV shows, somebody from Fame, some shows, and they had some two or three guys from the video game companies were there. Well, there was a group of ladies who had formed this uh, anti-video game coalition, and they, got, and they were getting on TV, and they got real heavy into it. So they were going around the country and hating video games, you know, against video games. They're awful for our kids. You know, the whole nine yards. Well, they get into it with these executives in the green room before we go on live TV, and they're kind of going back and forth at each other. Well, I'm sitting next to them. They were sitting here, the two ladies, two of them sitting there, and I'm sitting here in Gary. And I'm thinking, when they find out that we, the guys doing that song, probably gonna you know, get physically hurt. So I'm just sitting there like this, and so all of a sudden the lady, she looks at her and she goes, aren't you the guys who do the Pac-Man, humor song? Yeah, yeah, that would be us. She says, my daughter loves that song. And she said, can I get an autograph? And just, you know, and all this stuff, she couldn't have been nicer. And then goes out on, on national TV, you know, yelling about how bad video games are. You so, know, so ridiculous. Crazy stories like that.
0: How do you feel about the longevity of Pac-Man Fever, how it's been incorporated into pop culture? You mentioned all the other shows and, uh, franchises that incorporated it, and knowing this, it's just a, such a small slice of uh, kind of your work and your life, how do you feel about that being the thing that is most uh, recognizable um, as representative of your work? I know your the album you didn't want to be all game songs, that didn't diminish your, your credentials in our eyes, but how, how do you feel about that for your uh, kind of history and your You know, I, as I was saying earlier, I'm just, I, I'm thrilled that, that anyone or like uh, anything
2: I would, music that I would write. I think it's an honor, and I uh, am uh, uh, humbled by it that, that, that people would like what we do and purchase it. And I'm glad to be known for that, you know, and known for anything, but it, it's, it's an honor. So, I'm, that's, that's fine. And, you know, a lot of people in business know I do different things, and. and uh, and that's fine, and I know we worked hard on this, and we've had a lot of compliments. I've had other producers contact me that when they were younger, they got their first you know, ideas from our music for doing things. You know, the Goldbergs, uh, the guy who produced the Goldbergs, uh, we, they used our song on one of the shows, and he told me that he had been a, a kid, you know, he had the record, and you know, and they used to show videos. If you ever saw the show, they'd show videos, uh, real videos. and. But he said, yeah, he said, we, you know, we love that song and everything they had in the show. So, to me, it's just a pleasure, again, because I get to meet folks like you and nice people. And, you know, and, and the record is a nice record. It's not something terrible or mean or bad or killing people. And uh, so I'm quite proud to be part of it. And if that's what I'm known for, that's great. I accept it. And we're very grateful as well. Thank you. So, let me open up to the audience. Any questions for Rose? You said you were writing jingles. Are there any jingles that the world would know about? I've done jingles. We used to, most of it was local jingles. Right. Uh, and if you're from Atlanta, one, one that we did probably one of the biggest ones. Eat it, Joe Tony's was a big uh, commercial <laughs> here. Eat it, Joe. It was a pretty big <laughs> commercial. Most of our stuff was was local. Now I have done voice work that was national. I did a TV show on the History Channel. I was did the voiceovers for that uh, called Big. Strength.
1: <laughs>
2: it, was, it was about these poor guys that went out in these boats, you know, and they would fish for shrimp and stuff, and do terrible things to each other, tie a guy up in a net and spray, I don't know. And, uh, but they <laughs> paid a lot of money, and it was on the District Channel, and I said, Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> I mean, you know, as far as uh, jingles uh, on a national level, uh, you know, I've done some Waffle House, we've done some music for them. Uh, most of the regional. Uh, another question I'm going back here? Yes, sir. One big fan of both Gen X Grown Up and Garcia.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, great! Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd just like to say I consider Garcia the, I guess you could say, forefathers of musical vocals in music games in general. Oh, okay, Because no, I don't really. recall any musical, any songs, vocal or otherwise. Right, so. Right. so- uh, can you briefly describe your songwriting process?
2: Do you like to come up with a melody first, or a chord structure, or do you sit down at the piano? Yeah, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, and I think most writers do this, but for me, well, when I write for myself, I guess really when Gary and I wrote the same thing, uh, you get a concept you know, in your mind, and I a song title or an idea. And uh, I start messing around with it first, and it's usually the chorus, usually the hook part of the chorus, and I'll work on that, and then if I'm happy with that, then I may work on the, then start on the lyrics. And i lyrics is tough, you know. And Gary was a better lyricist than I was. I, I mean, I write lyrics. I, I had a hit uh, There was an artist named Ann Murray, who used to be a big artist years ago, and she cut one of my songs and was top 20, and it, it was a good song. It was, you know, hit. It did good. Um, so, but I have to really work hard at it, you know. Uh, writing a great song is so hard to do, it's just so hard. But I would work on the on, on the chorus part, the hook part, and, and, and then on the verses. Now, sometimes you'll get an idea for a melody, you know. I'll get this melody in my head, and then it's just over and over, and I'll go, what is this? So you go in and sit down and, and um, you know, you, and you work on it. Now, I'll tell you an interesting story you might find it interesting, and you, know, you may not. <laughs> um, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Uh, I had an idea for a song. I've always been a great respecter of veterans. Are there any veterans in here? I just respect you. I applaud you, sir, for your service and thank you. And I had this idea, it just came to me one day, about the wall, from you know the Vietnam wall. So I wrote this song about, about the wall, and, uh, and uh, Bertie Higgins, who did Key
1: Largoy, remember that song? was <coughs> beginning. So Bertie, uh, the CBS said, we're gonna have Bertie record it. So he recorded the song. And, and
2: we did it. Well, when they were doing, running the legal stuff on it, uh, the song was about a soldier. I made this up. It was about a soldier. I had a name. And, and, and when he, what his rank was and the stuff he did and all this. And uh, so when they did the legal stuff to make sure everything was okay, I get a call from Martin. He goes, he said, this is weird, man. He said, he said this
1: is a real guy. And I said, it is? He said, yeah. He said, He's, he, the real
2: guy and his name's on the wall. And, uh, and he, there was a couple other things, and I had I had mentioned his wife Anne in in the original lyrics, and I said, "Don't tell me if his wife's name is Anne. It too would be too weird." And so, you know, we didn't. But that that was one song where it's like I think I think sometimes uh, creativity, especially with music or jokes or scripts or ideas, I think they kind of floating around out there somewhere. Maybe sometimes, because your brain could you do this all the time. It, it's a little more resetty, maybe, and boom, it comes in, you know, but you still got to work at it to put it together. You done not just, you know, you don't just have this song coming out. But uh, there's something, you know, magical about it But I mean, I'll write, I'll spend hours on the lyrics. I mean, I'll go over, I'll have, I'll have 20, 30 ver- versions of, of something and verses and change a word here and change a the word there. When we used to work in the studio, we would, you know, when you're doing vocals, you'll go, you know what? I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that word, that phrase, and, and you fix stuff as you go. So it's a continuing process, and many times, even after it's done, you're happy with it, you go, I wish I had to you know, mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. But that's that's kind of my process is the hook first, melody, idea hook, and verses, and then, uh, then record a demo. Piano progress? Yeah, yeah, keyboard for me. Yeah, that's, that, that was uh, always my thing, just piano. Do you have somebody you really like uh, musically? What kind of music do you like? Oh, I like all kinds of music. In fact, uh, we sound like a stock intro. Oh, John (laughs) said.
0: I'm glad you (laughs) didn't. I'd have have John come over there and work you over. (laughs) You just point him out, and I'll take care of (laughs) it. He does all my heavy work.
2: <laughs> what was the question? sorts of music do you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: All yeah. kinds. Your
2: actually, name. I hate music. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Uh, no, I, I really do like different kinds of music. I don't care. Uh, I don't care much for pop music. No. Yeah. I, think I, grew up, I grew up around in Cleveland Akron area that was huge up there. I actually got into opera just uh, a few years ago. Somebody played some for me, and I thought. I couldn't understand it, but it was beautiful, you know? I, I really kind of like that. And my granddaughter's been to a few operas, and I'd like to go. I wasn't invited, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for good reason, probably. But, uh, but I like that. But I, primarily, I like I pop records, pop music. Uh, I love some of the old uh, songs, uh, some of the... Uh, uh, those, some of those Philly groups, you know? Yeah. And some of those ballads, I love those songs. Uh, but uh, Huey Lewis, you know, I mean, I like good music, uh, pop music. I'm not big on, uh, you know, like uh, metal music, stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, and a lot of people are, it's a, it's a great, you know, uh, market and people like that, but that's not one of my favorites. I do like uh, more of the contemporary country music, I guess. And I like some of the contemporary Christian music. I think it's good and
1: I like that. And uh, so, um, you know, I don't listen to a lot of music. Anymore, like I used to, which just you know, I think a lot of
2: us maybe are like that. I don't know. I mean, we don't listen to the radio much anymore. You're listening to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was thinking, Prince used to always say that he
0: didn't like listening to other people's music because the whole time he was listening to the music, he was thinking about how
2: he would do it different. Yeah, I, I, I can understand. You know, when. I take it for granted, that when you're a writer or producer, especially someone like Prince who's such a great writer and great songs, when we hear
1: music and song, we hear it different than most folks because we hear all the parts and the layers and what you would, like you say, what you would change. I mean, I'll hear a record sometimes and go, yeah, vocal's too low. should,
2: it's, you know, it's, a, it's a hit. I'm going, yeah, vocal's too low, you know. Now, you, your show, you play music in your show. Nope, nope, no, It's either. just our witty banter. <laughs> I remember when Ed uh, it was not there was no roll on no the My dad used to say they good as for a family to hear this, you know, crap <laughs> And of course, eventually that that did go. My dad was not a big fan of them, but he was he was a, a big fan of mine. And he had a little TV shop in uh, Barberton, Ohio, where he repaired TVs. And uh, I when we had our old records I had one special made for him and he hung in this little TV shop oh. and he was very proud I he's passed away now, but I always thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Even though he wasn't a big fan of pop music. That's my boy. I got a question for all of you. Go ahead. Are you guys having a good time today? I want to thank you for coming to, uh, to to the panel and, and uh it's so really nice to see all of you and meet all of you and uh, keep the be <laughs> Before we let you go, maybe we share with them
0: how they can follow you and find you and keep track of what you're doing. Yes. BucknerGarcia.com.
2: That's simple. BucknerGarcia.com. And you can check us out. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all.
0: If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at And finally, Gen up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. X grown-up is a member of the evergreen podcast family learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com We're also an affiliate of the Geeks worldwide radio network you can check them out at the gww.com.
2: what was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances to be behind the scenes?